What a true pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, delighted to have this opportunity always to assemble with those of like precious faith. And it truly is a precious faith. Our trust in the Lord is what sustains us. And what a beautiful design, a spiritual body, a spiritual family. And wherever Denise and I travel, we get to meet with those um, who share that faith and share that family. Such an encouragement to us. And you've encouraged us by uh, your attendance during this marriage and family workshop. And I didn't share anything with you, have not shared anything with you, will not share anything with you that you don't already know. These would just be reminders of how important it is that we do those things. As the song just expressed, whatever we do in word or deed, we all ought to do it in the name of the Lord and by His authority. And if our individual lives are designed that way and purposed that way and our marriages are designed and purposed that way and our families are ordered that way, then we're going to have everything God intended for us to have while we're here. And we're going to assist and help each other enjoy everything he's prepared for us there. So there's just no way for us to lose in the Lord if we really understand who we are and what it is that we've been blessed with. We've attempted over the weekend to emphasize some basic things, to start with individually who we ought to be. Because you really can't have a, a strong, vibrant, lasting marriage unless you have two strong, vibrant people who are committed to that marriage. In last hour, we talked specifically about the, the individual material that marriages are made of and how we ought to be single, unique, and whole in our relationship with the Lord. And be prepared then for us to function as individuals so that when we say, I do, that we're conscious that we're going to give life, we're going to give birth to a relationship, and it's going to be here. I mentioned the other night when we first assemble that marriage is a lot, and we're giving life to marriage is a lot like giving birth to a child. It's here. And once it arrives, it is totally dependent upon those parents to take care of it. And we have even in our, our legal system terminology for those who do not take care of their children. And we make sure that everybody knows that there is neglect of some sort. Well, you can't neglect something that you're not responsible for. And so by saying that child is neglected, it meant someone was supposed to take care of that child because the child could not take care of itself. We don't always make that application when it comes to marriage. That once we say, I do, it's here. And it can be neglected. And if it is neglected, then who's responsible for that neglect? The relationship's not going to take care of itself. It's going to be totally dependent upon those who brought it into being. And my wife and I have four children, and our children are a lot like everybody else's children. But they are specifically unique to us because of the genetics that they share. When my oldest son was in high school, they had, uh, before one of the football games, they had a, you know, kind of a festive occasion and uh, had fun, and they played different games. And one of the games they played is the, uh, the freshman uh, 
you know, had to take off their shoes and stand behind the curtain and people walk by and try to identify whose feet they were. And so uh, he's standing behind the curtain, you know, and one of the senior football uh, players, as soon as he got to my son, said, uh, Paul Martin. And Paul said, how did you know? He said, nobody else on the team has those duck feet like you have. <laughs> and he said, thanks a lot, Dad. You know, because guess who else has duck feet? You know, I do. Now, they work out pretty good when you're playing football. They kind of give you balance, but they are a dead giveaway. If you're the only one with the duck feet, you know, it's, and that's a genetic thing. That came from the gene pool that he came from, and he's got them. I guess you could break his leg and, and set his feet. He wouldn't have duck feet, but it still wouldn't deny his genetics, would it? So we understand from, from our biological makeup that we pass down things to our children. You go to the doctor and you fill out those forms and you fill out those forms and you fill out those forms and, and they're always saying, All right, uh, well, you have any family history of diabetes, any heart disease, you know, any cancer? And, and there's this long list of things, you know, uh, yes or no. You, know, you, you check that. If, it's, if yes, then describe. So there's a gene pool that we have to respond to and doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have exactly what our parents did, but the propensity for us to have those conditions, the doctor needs to know that so he can say, look, we need to kind of change your diet. If, you, if your family had trouble with diabetes, you probably need to make sure that you eat the right things and you need to exercise. So there's some things that we can do about it, but we can't really deny our genetics. It affects us and we better pay attention how the doctor said we might address those things. Now, when it comes to spiritual matters, sometimes we don't ever do those intake, do we? All right. What's our family history here? Well, we're created in God's image. We ought to be able to say, this is our spiritual genetics. If we're going to be in the image of God, this is how we ought to look, and these are characteristics we ought to have. And we began to make application of that when... We leave our father and mothers and we join ourselves to our spouses and we become one flesh. We need to recognize that, that we're giving birth to a relationship that ought to emulate those spiritual genetics. And we need to make sure that if we don't have those things that we change our disposition and our, our attitudes and become obedient to the Lord in those matters. The passage I read for you a moment ago from Romans chapter 7 is really describing that we're no longer under the Old Testament law because it had been fulfilled and Christ has died on the cross. And so there has been a spiritual death occur, just like that wife was bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if he's dead, she's free to marry again. He's saying, you're free to be married to Christ. So that's the illustration. But let's take that and, and emphasize this relationship that we give birth to. We say in our marriage vows, until death do us part. Why is that? Because if we're going to give birth to this relationship, then we're going to take care of it until we just can't take care of it anymore. That's what we're going to do. That's what we should do. And one of those spiritual genetics that should be part of making those vows is commitment. That, that we mean what we say when we say those things and that we're an example of a believer who would make that commitment. You know, Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 
that he was to be an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. He was to be an example of that kind of commitment in his relationship with the Lord. So when he went out and preached to other people, they would know what his relationship to the Lord was. When we read through the scriptures, sometimes we kind of make these heroic characters and we don't think we can emulate that kind of example. But let me give you a modern day example. When Denise and I moved from Colorado to the Memphis area at Cordova, Tennessee, we preached for a congregation there, and as soon as we arrived in, in, in 1998, we met this older couple, and a really sweet older couple. By the time we met them, uh, the husband was already having early signs of dementia. And so we watched the progression of that, and uh, his wife would drive them to, to worship service, and, and he'd stay real close to her. And if people had conversation with them, and if he looked confused, you know, she would she would answer in a way that would be respectful to him to say, uh, well, it's because of this and this and this. Would you say so, Jack? Rather than just answer as Jack didn't exist, she, she would respond so Jack could still be Jack. Well, that got progressively worse. And when I'd make visits, it, uh, just to watch her care for him, that in case he was still at himself and it got to a point where he couldn't verbalize anything so she wasn't sure if he could hear her and understand her, but just in case, she would roll him up to the table and when she's paying bills, she complained about the, the gas bill and the light bill and you know all the added on little things to the bill just like she always did, whether Jack could hear or not. She tried to carry on his, his normal activities of life as she possibly could. Well, if you ever had a loved one who had dementia, you know it, it doesn't heal itself. It gets worse. And it did. He finally became bad fast. And uh, so she had to take care of him and uh, took care of him at home. Determined to take care of him. He got the running fever toward the end, and so he had to be hospitalized. And by that time, he... He didn't have control of much, and so he drooled a lot. And she was very close, and she, you know, tried to make sure that he always stayed cleaned up. If people come in to visit, you know, she didn't want him seeing him in that condition because when you visit their home, you saw all these pictures of, of this Navy, well-dressed, strong, vibrant young man that she fell in love with. And they married during the war. He came home from, from uh, World War II. And while he was on, on a short leave, they got married. So they wrote letters back and forth, beautiful letters. She read some of the letters to me. And sometimes she wouldn't hear from him for, for months. And then she'd get two or three letters. And she just held on to those things. And when you saw those pictures and you could, she'd tell about them getting married, you could just see them making those vows to each other. Strong, beautiful couple. Well, now they're quite aged, and she's not sure Jack is conscious, but she talks as if he is. And one day I visit him at the hospital and telling a longer story to illustrate the point. They'd given birth to this relationship. They'd made a commitment. It meant something to both of them. 
was at the hospital one day, and uh, Miss Olive, his name was Jack, her name was Olive, and Miss Olive is kind of my wife and I's hero. She's just a beautiful lady, just spunky as she can be, and up in her 90s now, and, but uh, we want to be like Jack and Olive because they just demonstrated what a believer is. They demonstrated what it looks like to give birth to a relationship that you're going to take care of and you're going to nurture and, and you're going to protect. And vows that you make that you are going to be committed to. I visited the hospital that day and she was talking to me and, and uh, you know, trying to feed Jack. She, she would go home only long enough, you know, to, uh, to rest for a few minutes, change her clothes, and she'd go back to the hospital. She fed him all of his meals. And this particular day, the nurse came in, and she was checking all of his vitals, and she said, Miss Olive, just go home and rest. Uh, that's what I'm getting paid for. I'll feed him. And she just ignored her, as if she didn't say anything. She'd wipe the drool from his mouth, and she'd just, you know, gooing over him as if he was that strong, vibrant person in that picture hanging on the wall. She talked to him that way. And the nurse kind of got her by the hand and she said, Miss Olive, you, you're wearing yourself out. Just go home and rest. And she turned around. And she looked at that young nurse in the eye. She said, young lady, I made a vow 55 years ago. I intend to keep it. She said, yes, ma'am and exited the room. I won't ever forget that as long as I live. I've studied and prepared a lot of sermons. I've tried to memorize the verses and quoted them so people can know this is the word of the Lord. What I'm sharing with you is a message from the Lord. These are the words from the Lord. But I could not prepare a sermon that would speak any more truth any louder, any more profoundly than Miss Olive embodying that. She meant it. You see, they'd given birth to this relationship. It wasn't going to be neglected. As long as she could possibly do it, she's going to take care of Brother Jack. And when she just talked to him and described him, you'd kind of forget the physical condition he's in. You'd see him in this Navy uniform and how she described him and, and all that vibrance because she intended for you to know that about Brother Jack. She didn't want you feeling sorry for him and she didn't want you focusing on his condition now and she would just tell that love story over and over and over. A number of years later, I was asked to write an article for a Brotherhood publication. And they had a series on the home and those kind of things. And my particular assignment was when for better or worse becomes worse. I didn't want to be disrespectful to Sister Olive. So I called her and I said, Miss Olive, I've been asked to write an article. And I can't think of any better way to illustrate it. 
I'd never really talked to her about what I saw. But I said, I visited the hospital one day, and here's what I witnessed. And I went home and just hugged my wife and said, I want me and you to be Brother Jack and Miss Olive. Because it's beautiful. Hard? Absolutely. She was physically and emotionally worn out. But parents, you know how that feels when your child's sick and you have to stay up day and night taking care of them. But you do it all over again because they're your children. You love them. You want them to know that you're going to sacrifice and do that because that's your responsibility and, and you love them. So it is with that relationship. You love that relationship you gave birth, given birth to and, and you're going to do what you have to do to take care of it. She granted me permission to use that illustration. So I walk people through the scriptures that deal with what we ought to do for each other. And sometimes in life it becomes worse, doesn't it? We say that for better or for worse. Better is pretty easy to handle, isn't it? That's that young Navy man standing there and going and fighting the enemy. And he's going to take care of her. And he can take on any danger that's coming. And she's confident of that. Worse is when dementia takes him away from her. She's not sure that he hears her or he understands her. But she's committed to take care of him during that time that's worse. It was a beautiful thing to watch. And so when we look at those spiritual genetics, we need to understand that it, that commitment is something that you and I have to really mean. And that we, when we say those words, we hold on to those words, and when we say until death do us part, we understand the commitment to take care of that. I wouldn't want anyone to ever think I'd neglect my children, but I, I don't want anyone to ever think I would neglect my marriage either. Because that reflects on who I am and it reflects upon genetics that makes that marriage strong. When you think about that and you concentrate on that, there's a, a certain level of honesty that's part of that genetics. That we are to be honest with each other. And I tell young couples when they're, when they're in the courtship stage, pay real close attention. If he or she lies to their parents where they are with you, they will lie to you where they are when you're not around. You better pay attention. If they can't be honest with their, with their parents, they're not going to be honest with you. And they kind of violate the principle of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9 that, that lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man and its deeds. That's spiritual genetics to be honest and pay attention if they call in sick for work when they're not sick, then what's going to happen when the relationship is sick? They said for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. But if they're honest in any, dishonest in any of their relationship, then they will be dishonest in this relationship. Pay attention to that. It doesn't mean that you can't marry that person, but you need to help that person correct that spiritual genetic flaw. And that's the neat thing for us is, if we're not everything we need to be, we can become that. Notice what Colossians 3 said, you put off that old person and its deeds. 
Which means that used to be who you were. And those were the characteristics that you lived by. But you don't do that anymore. As we think about that, that causes us to have to take on a certain amount of responsibility. Everything about our life then, and we're, we're to take responsibility for. And that's why you, a, a man would leave his father and mother, would cleave to his wife. When he gets to the point where he can take care of himself, his parents doesn't have to take care of him anymore. Now he can take care of a relationship. But too often today, even as parents sometimes, we want to fill in all the blanks and... and cut all the corners and say, well, we'd like for them to have what we have, and we don't want them to have to work as hard as we did, and why not? You know what I mean? That's like saying, well, uh, you know, I, I, I want to have children, but I want them to be a certain age so I don't have to change diapers or, or go through any of that process. Just, you know, just give me a child that can look like I want him to look and behave like I want him to behave, and I've invested nothing in the child. Well, that's ridiculous. That's, that's never going to really happen. But if that child comes into our home's infant, the way children do, and we see ourselves in them, and there's just something staggering to me about the complete helplessness of a little child. They will not survive without our care. They just will not do it. They can't do anything for themselves. Now they can cry out for what they need. But they can't do anything for themselves. So we take on that responsibility and, and we hear their cry and we know when they're hungry and we know when, when they need to be changed, when they saw themselves and, and we know when they're just being cranky and we begin to try to eliminate things that, well, this must be more because now they're warm and they must be running a fever. It must be more than just a normal crying. And, and so we, we respond to that because we're responsible for them. What about our relationship? You see, we ought to look at that relationship and see us. Those of you who've known us for a while, you, when you introduce us to your friends and other folks, you'll say, this is Jerry and Denise. And you almost say that as if we're inseparable. Jerry and Denise. Because we're one. You see us as a couple. She doesn't cease being Denise, and I don't cease being Jerry, but in this relationship, we're Jerry and Denise. And we're responsible for what health it has. In Romans chapter 12, and verse 1, we're told that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. So if we're offering our bodies as living sacrifices, then that means that everything this body does and is engaged in demonstrates the responsibility that I take to be pleasing to God in it. Brother Chad led us a moment ago, whatever we do in word or deed, let's do it all in the name of the Lord. Because that's, we belong to Him and we want to take the responsibility to care for our relationships. And we never lose that independence of our responsibilities in that relationship. There are certain things that I need to commit to do for Denise that she needs to be done. And I recognize that when Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, if, if a man provide not for his own, he denied the faith and worse than an infidel. So if we're supposed to be examples of faith, 
an example of the believers, then we ought to not only take that responsibility, but realize that we have some independent responsibility here to take care of each other. That's what Miss Sister Olive was saying, wasn't it? I made a vow 55 years ago. I intend to keep it. Now, she had every reason in the world from a human standpoint to say, well, I'm at the hospital. And that doesn't mean that we don't let medical people take care of medical needs. That's, that's not it at all. But she could feed him. And she knew that Brother Jack had a particular disposition and, and demeanor he wanted to project. And she didn't want people to see him there just drooling. She wanted to give him as much dignity as she could. And she knew other people would make sure he got the nourishment he received and the medication he needed. But she'd made a commitment to him in this relationship. And now to see him was to see them. And she was going to protect that to the very end. When you see my husband, you're going to see him in that uniform. You're going to hear him write those love letters. You're going to hear how he's provided for me. You're going to see us as a couple. And she wasn't going to let anybody intrude on that. That was a beautiful thing to watch. And you and I ought to have that same kind of disposition. That's why when you look at passages like first, or rather 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, and you recognize that the Lord had given us all things that pertain to the life and godliness. That means that he has provided for us what we need to do everything he wants us to do. And then it continues by saying that we are then to be diligent, to add unto our faith virtue, and to our virtue knowledge, and to our knowledge temperance, and to our temperance patience, to our patience godliness, to our godliness brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness charity there's those spiritual genetics saying you need to take the blessings that God has given you and you let them permeate your life and that causes you to spiritually be able to thrive if these things be in you and abound they make you to be to not be barren nor unfruitful and the works of righteousness what if they're not in you well he deals with that too those who don't do those things, who, who don't grow that way, who don't take that spiritual responsibility, who do not embody those spiritual genetics, they have forgotten that they were purged from their sins and have become blind and cannot see afar off. You see, I've dealt with marriages that have forgotten. They've forgotten the couple that stood before the witnesses and said, we are committing ourselves to each other. We won't ever cease being individuals, but we've committed to give birth to a relationship that we both take responsibilities for. And we'll take care of it in every circumstance of life. In the good times, we're going to thrive and enjoy and rejoice with each other. In the sad times, we're going to weep and cry with each other. In the times of prosperity, we're going to take care of each other and share our prosperity with others. 
to demonstrate the kindness and goodness of God. In our times of poverty, we're going to draw close to each other, sustain each other, protect each other. And we're going to do that until death do us part. Brother Jack was buried on a really, really cold day in Memphis, Tennessee. I looked up here at Miss Olive and, you know, people are sad because death has occurred. But she looks so confident. Because she's a confident lady anyway. But she looked like she knew that she did everything she promised to do until death do we part. I want to be able to do that. If Denise dies before I do, I want her to be confident I'm going to do everything within my power to take care of her because that's the spiritual genetics that produce this relationship. I am confident that she would do everything within her physical power to take care of me as long as she possibly could. I want her to be able to be confident that she accomplished that. I want to be confident in that. But you see, that takes commitment. Sometimes when we think about marriage, we let the world kind of dictate what that's supposed to look like, and boy, the world will just, I mean, it'll discard it in a drop of a hat, won't it? Well, they just, you know, they just don't make me happy anymore. That's a very self-centered approach to it. Are you making them happy? Well, but that, you know, they, they knew when we married the kind of person I am. Well, if those couples I told you about that I counsel with, if they've read those lessons, and if they haven't, I don't see them. And if they've done that every day, the same time every day, and if they don't, I don't see them. And they've talked about what they've read every day, and they prayed to God every day, the same time every day, and if they don't, I don't see them. Then I know they know how when they say I do to have all the spiritual genetics they need to have everything God wants them to have in that marriage. And Denise and I have experienced both conditions of marriage. We've experienced in our early years some really selfish struggles that went on. And it wasn't a lot of fun on occasion. We've always loved each other. I don't think that's been a, been a question. We, at the capacity we knew how to love, we loved each other. But when we discovered how to love the Lord first... And focus on our relationship to him first. It has changed our marriage from night to day. To enjoy everything he intended for us to enjoy and to encourage each other in that. Sometimes, and I don't say this flippantly. I don't say it just to be funny even though it is funny. Sometimes we even get on each other's nerves trying to out-nice each other. It's just a whole lot more fun. And she'll say, there you go again. You know, 
trying to out nice me. Who's going to get up and make the coffee first? You know, like, she beat me to it this time. And used to is like, you had not made the coffee? You know I like my coffee first thing in the morning. Well, you know, the, the, I was up all night with a child with an earache. Well, but you know I like my coffee first thing in the morning. You know, those are the kind of things that we need to recognize that these two whole unique individuals, if we are whole and unique, can give birth to a whole healthy relationship. And we can take responsibility of that and say, you know, I want it to be as healthy as it can possibly be. And when it cries out, we want to respond to it and make sure we feed it and nourish it. When it's sick, we're going to sit up with it. We're going to take turns sitting up with it. Because we want to enjoy everything God intended for us to enjoy. If that be the case, then that is an outgrowth of our marriage to Christ. And whatever we do in word or deed, we'll do all in the name of the Lord. It is for His glory. If you're here this morning and not a child of God, then what you will have to acknowledge is you're not married to Christ, and so you can't really represent Him in a marriage as husband and wife because you're not married to Him. There's a beautiful passage that tells us that how we all become part of this spiritual family. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 says, We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We're no more Jew nor Greek. We're no more bond or free. No more male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And if we're in Christ, then are we Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Beautiful, isn't it? But with that comes responsibility. To share what we know and to share what we have with others. And those of us who have done that, we are part of the family of God. We ought to behave like it. Our marriages ought to reflect it. And we make mistakes, we ought to admit it and start all over. And it's always a, a kind, blessed thing to know that our our Lord is faithful. Now listen to this. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we'll have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, will cleanse us, means continue to cleanse us of all of our sins. We confess our sins. You ready for it? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now we're just as if we have never sinned. And our relationship to Him can be strong and therefore our family relationship can be strong because our spiritual family relationship is strong. If you're here tonight and that's not, or this morning and that's not true of you, it can be before you leave. The words of this song that reminds us of how our sins are removed is for the purpose of encouraging us to seize the opportunities of His blessings. And to be one with Him. If we can assist and help you do that, you let that be known while we stand, while we sing.